saying, you know what, this is one life I get to live and you know, I don't want to have any regrets and I want to, I don't want to be reckless, but I, I need to, you know, be okay with taking some chances too. All right, we're here today on the Gravity Podcast with Rachel Friedman. Rachel is founder and CEO of Tenfold LLC. Tenfold was born out of a personal dream to own and build a great company. Tenfold is a cultural strategy and creative firm that builds brands through culture by leveraging what makes them truly unique and special. The company's award-winning solutions bring company culture to life through omni-channel activation in the physical, digital, and experiential space. Tenfold Solutions incorporate brand and culture strategy, environmental graphic design, and interactive digital display technology to create spaces that educate, inform, and inspire, connecting people to place in a meaningful way. As an entrepreneurial startup, Tenfold has quickly become an industry-leading award-winning firm. In 2018 and 21, Tenfold received Best of Show honors from the American Advertising Federation. The company was also named to prestigious Inc. 500 in 2018 and Inc. 5000 in 2019 as one of the fastest-growing private companies in the nation. Rachel has also been a three-time recipient of Business First C-Suite Award for Most Admired CEO. The award recognizes excellence and integrity. Tenfold brings the brand and culture story to life for clients like ESPN, NBC Universal, BlackRock, The Columbus Crew, Big Lots, Huntington National Bank, and many others. Rachel, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Brett. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of dive in. I've known you a long time and and I'm familiar with your journey to some degree, but I'm I'm excited to kind of dig in deeper and and get, you know, our audience to have a chance to get to know you too. So, why don't you just maybe start at the beginning, tell us a little bit about kind of your early life. My early life Born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. So I'm definitely a Columbus girl. I can't say that I thought I was going to end up in Columbus permanently, but I absolutely love it here. And built my life here and it's been, and built my business here. So it's, it's been fantastic. Let's see. Actually, when I was first born, lived out east, um, east of Bexley. So I wasn't always, didn't always grow up in Bexley, although I graduated from Bexley High School, moved to Bexley when I was 10 years old in the fifth grade. And I assimilated, sort of fit in pretty well. So that transition wasn't, wasn't a big deal for me. Throughout high school, I was really involved in a lot of sports and athletics, from you know, swimming to field hockey. And um, throughout my course of some studies in high school, I, you know, I loved my academics, but I ended up taking what was a pretty basic... Uh, it was called interior design. It was really more of a glorified home economics class. Um, but found that I... Fell in love with it. Um, couldn't put the work down. Loved working on the projects, and um, my mom sort of noticed that in me and said, "You know what? Maybe, maybe you should study that in college." So she really encouraged me to do that, and I ended up at the University of Michigan at the Stamp School of Art and Design, and, and studied art, and was able to take a lot of great academic uh, coursework at Michigan as well. And um, when I graduated, I came back to Columbus. Again, sort of didn't expect to. I had grand plans of, you know, moving to Chicago or Washington, D.C. because I had had an internship there. But when I graduated, the economy was just terrible in 1992. And I ended up 
back in Columbus. Let me um, just jump in and kind of back up because um, I want to dig into kind of um, all of those various phases of, of your life. Tell me a little bit more, you know, kind of, uh, and I guess I'm, I'm like going to hold back from jumping right into the home ec thing because, you know, from, from my standpoint as, um, you know, being in a field where we have some overlap and are working together, um, you know, I can kind of relate to similar experiences and, and had kind of a, a different experience in my house, or maybe it was even more kind of what I assumed to be the case, right? That like, I also loved home ec, you know, I, I loved like making the pillow and being creative with it. Right. But like, I never, as a, as a boy, you know, a, a man, you know, kind of connected dots there or had um, family that, that kind of said, Hey, you should consider that. So, you know, let's back up for a second and, and tell me a little bit more about kind of what you were like as a kid um, and what your, what your parents were like and kind of, you know, more about kind of how you, you know, formed, you know, that kind of early version of yourself. Yeah. So um, my parents divorced when I was five years old and, you know, in the beginning, you know, it worked out pretty well. You know, I had time with my dad. I primarily lived with my mom um, but at the time, shortly after I moved to Bexley, actually, my dad was no longer a part of my life for a very long time. So from about age 10 to 18, at least, probably saw him maybe once or twice. So there's no doubt that had a, a profound impact on me as a young woman. And I think it impacts people differently. For me, it was like, how can I work really hard and just be perfect at everything and get good grades and be really involved and be captain of this team and that team. And, and I think for the most part, you know, a big part of that was just, it kept me really busy and I really enjoyed it. And I, I, you know, sort of liked developing leadership skills and those types of experiences. But, you know, I, there was certainly a big hole in my life and I, and I always felt very different than especially my peers and, and, and the girls that, you know, that were part of my friend group and um, always felt a little different in that way. But I, you know, I, I sort of recognize that that's definitely, you know, builds, builds your character and, and, and contributes to sort of who you are. So I was really fortunate to have strong women in my life. My mom was a restaurateur. So um, that sort of spirit of entrepreneurship was in my house. I, I got to see firsthand how challenging of a business that is. My grandmother was um, lived in Cleveland, but was very present in my life as well. And she had undergone some tragedy early in her life where she became a widow and ended up running a jelly factory in downtown Cleveland. So um, I had a lot of models uh, in, my, in my life of very strong and very independent women, not necessarily because they chose to be independent, but because that was their life circumstance. So I think that, you know, that, was, that was inspirational to me. And then, as I mentioned, like, you know, I, had, I just had great support from, from my mom. And I, I, especially reflecting back on that now, recognize that other parents may have said, no, look, you're going to the University of Michigan. You're studying something else. Like, we're not going to have the starving artist. And I just feel really grateful that I always had someone in my life who was saying, no, you should really um, study what you're curious about and what you're really passionate about. And, you know, success is what you define it to be. 
and you know happiness and health are, are you know probably the, the main objectives, right? And so I think I always had just really good perspective as it related to how I was carving out my my career and my path and my journey. Yeah, and I I want to just kind of hear a little bit more because you've got these kind of very different parents and and in one on one side you have a father who's absent um for you know a, a, an important stretch of a young woman's life and then on the other side you have these you know great role models in your mother and your grandmother and i think you know it's kind of easy as adults now um and i'm sure you've you know processed a lot of this to look back and to say what you did, which is that it made you stronger and, and you know, served its purpose. And, you know, I, I've also, you know, been able to kind of see things in that light in my own life. But, but I'm curious, you know, what did that kind of do to you at that time? I mean, talk a little bit more. You, you mentioned, you know, that you became somebody that was a high achiever. And and you know immersed yourself in sports and and you know academics, but you know what was what was the other side of that? Was there anything else that kind of you know was part of that experience that you know was hard? No, oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah, you know it, it's sort of like as much as you know whether you're a child that's a product of divorce, where you hear all the time like the kids internalize and somehow feel responsible. I can't say that I, I really processed that consciously, but I do think certainly there was a, a this sort of sense of shame that, you know, I'll just, you know, even use college, for example, where you have Father's Day weekends, you know, there's always some sort of, or Father's Weekend, there's, there's always some sort of event that highlights the fact that there's someone that's missing from your life. And when it's a death or someone has passed away, you know, that's, that's one thing and that's extraordinarily hard. But the other is when that person should be at these events in your life and they're absent and then you feel like, how do you, you know, how do you explain that sort of thing? And I think when it's, when it's you, there's all this sort of like irrational, but focus on somehow being not good enough or mm-hmm. you know, responsible in some way. Yeah. Why? Like, well, if this person really loved me, they would be here for yeah. this, for me. And just, you know, I think it just, as far as it, how it affects, affected me as a young woman, I think it was primarily related to, to my peer group because, you know, at that time, and I think we always learn as we grow older, things aren't always as they seem, right? But to me, the perception was that everyone had this perfect life. You know, they had the perfect house and they had the perfect car and they had the... The, the perfect nuclear family. And my family was different. And, you know, and I just always felt a little different in that way. And so I think how it affected me is sometimes I maybe wouldn't open up as much to certain people or, you know, really let them inside because maybe I was feeling ashamed, which looking back now, you know, I want to hug that little person and say like, you have no reason to feel ashamed. But I do think it, it, it sort of forces you maybe to keep people a little bit at a distance. At least for me. Yeah. And then the not enoughness is also something I want to just kind of, you know, highlight here because I think that is a common story that gets taken on for a lot of different reasons. And in your case, you know, that would make perfect sense. And it's so unconscious. You're a child 
you know, you're not thinking clearly like an adult or have all the perspective, right? So you embody a story and, and not enoughness is a common one. And, um, and, and then it can really fuel you to want to be enough. And, and, you know, all of that can be unconscious as well. It doesn't mean that it's all uh, ending up with a bad result, right? Like you ended up um, from what it sounds like, and then I know today for sure, but, you know, throughout high school and college, being very high achieving in that, in that, you know, possible in part, I guess, to be enough. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting. So I have a, a peer advisory group like many people do, whether it's through EO or YPO or Vistage. And I will say, I don't know if these are, are numbers that, you know, are, are unusually high, but it does seem like a lot of us who have lived a life of entrepreneurship and very driven personalities, um, a lot of us carry a lot of those, 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 you know, situations or experiences from our childhood. And so, you know, I certainly haven't dug into the research on that to know if that is a a confirming statistic around entrepreneurs, but um, it's interesting and and something that we've even talked about as a group. It's just Mm -hmm. um, something that we all seem to share. Yeah. Well, I I can tell you without research um, or I guess my own research, which is 75 podcasts that it's pretty common. <laughs> so um, let, let, let me just uh, kind of fast forward a little bit, you know, as you get into college and you had said from 10 to 18. So I'm curious, you know, um, about a couple of things. I'm curious, at what point do you start to recognize the not enoughness or the impact or kind of get a little, you know, more conscious to what's going on here, you know, does that happen much later in life or, you know, at some point kind of as you're starting to get into your, you know, professional career, you know, tell me a little bit more about what happens there. I do think, you know, it probably in my late twenties, I started to better understand you know, a little bit more about my past and how that maybe impacts, you know, how I think about myself or the relationships that I have. And I think that just, you know, a lot of it just comes with maturity again, sort of um, also understanding what, what, what is your own definition of success and that life is a journey. And, um, and so I think that that became a little bit more clear to me in my late twenties, um, certainly having children of my own, I think gave me a lot of perspective. And, um, and also I think through the years as well, I think through the eyes of, of us as children, we're sort of wired to be pretty selfish, you know, in terms of how we look at things. And as I've gotten older too, I think I've been able to also have more empathy for my parents and have a, have a better understanding of you know, okay, well, what must have been going on in their life or mm-hmm. what happened to them when they were children? And, you know, right. how did, you know, how had those experiences shaped and formed them and their relationships? And so I think as I've gotten older, you know, I've, I've definitely tried to be more empathetic. And I also feel like I've also focused on being very intentional and, and living a really intentional life, especially as it relates to the relationships that I have with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, 
you know, recognizing that every moment's precious and, you know, these are the, these are the moments, you know, we're always going to be looking back fondly on the memories, but it's like, well, what are we, what are we doing today? And, and what's been fun about Tenfold um, is that there, I've, I've been able to sort of even draw a lot of parallels between having children and, um, and sort of birthing a business, if you will. And again, sort of recognizing that there's these stages of growth and development and there's a fondness when you look back when you were like four people, you know, versus as you evolved the business and now you're 21 people. And there's a, there's a tendency to look back and go like, oh, you remember when we were four people? And like, you know, have a lot of, have a lot of fond memories of that. But then it's like, okay, but yeah, but it's now. And five years from now, we're going to look back at this time and go, oh, you know, remember when we were 21 people? <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's, it's been really, the whole journey has just been a big education. and. and I'm just really grateful for all of it. Yeah, I, I really relate to the kind of, not just as a parent, but to kind of life in general. But, but being a parent really, for me, also has given me tremendous perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and specifically with my own parents. I mean, it is so hard to not uh, look at them differently now. You know, where you can say like, boy, I, I, I kind of get it. And, um, and like, what else happened that, you know, had it go that way? And, and like, so not, you know, anybody's fault and so um, appreciative of all of it, you know, even, even the really difficult stuff, you know, you can really start to put some, uh, you know, perspective to it in a really valuable way. Absolutely. That helps us let things go too. You know, I think totally that we're just we're just really, at least I'm. I just feel much more um, equipped to just sort of like. Yeah. Well, it's one of the nice things of of being an adult. You know, um, that you know, if you can, and you know, this is you know, been work I've had to do where I can really let my adult. Um, you know, get into the driver's seat. Uh, if you can really look at things from an adult perspective, you know, it is very freeing to be able to see things in a, in a, in a different light that's not personal and that is, you know, just as it is. So, so tell me, you know, as you start your career, you, you well, or anything from college, you know, in the kind of design world that you are in. Tell me a little bit about kind of, you know, how you start to emerge as a creative and, and in your career. Yeah. So I started as a designer. And um, again, I sort of had grand plans of, of being at a, a design firm or an architecture firm in another city. And in 1992, the, actually the firm that I had interned at the summer before my senior year actually ended up going out of business. So that was like my in. That was going to be my my first job out of college, and ended up during uh, a visit in, at Michigan, where Frank Cass was was in town to visit with his son David. Had a conversation with him, and he's like, "You should come and interview at my company." And I was like, "I don't want to be in Columbus, you know." <laughs> and he's like, "No, you should you should definitely come." So fast forward, I did, and and I ended up, you know, that was my first job right out of college was. You know, as an interior designer, focused on commercial workplace, so that's that's sort of where I've stayed in many many respects. 
And I, I got such great experience. And what I found was that had I gone to uh, you know, an architecture firm, I probably would have been stuck very low in the ranks doing some really mundane things. Um, but being at an office furnishings company and a, a contract interiors company, um, I was sort of thrown into some projects and opportunities that I probably you know, were, were beyond me at the time. Um, one of them was I, I traveled around the entire country opening, designing and opening offices for CompuServe at the time, if you remember that company that was then eventually acquired by AOL. And I, I saw the country. I, I did projects from you know, Seattle to San Francisco to Boston to Atlanta. And you know, while those aren't the most glamorous trips, it was really great for me as a, as a young woman in my 20s to be out there doing that and having success at it. And and really learning. And so um, I, I took every opportunity to learn as much as I could. And what I learned fairly early on in my career, once I left Continental and went to Herman Miller, was that um, I really had this passion for business that I didn't really know until I was exposed to it as sort of was awakened in me. So one of the great parts of working um, with clients on workplace is that you're exposed to so many different businesses and so many different industries and so many different business models. During my time at Herman Miller, when I was managing global accounts, I had a small portfolio of some of Herman Miller's most complex and important either accounts or pursuits. And they ranged from DHL and transportation and logistics to limited brands um, with retail to General Dynamics, a government contractor, um, manufacturer, to United Health Group. And so... I loved that diversity. And what I learned about it was that I had this passion for business that I, that I really didn't realize. Um, I was really intrigued by all their business models. I felt like if I could understand their business strategy, I could better design a workplace to be, either, you know, to be more of an enabler to their business strategy. And I was also able to spot then where their workplace was, was an obstacle to them achieving their goals. So when I was at Herman Miller, they had a, a fantastic tuition education reimbursement program. And they said, basically on my first day at Herman Miller, you know, we have this program and if you want to go to Harvard, you can go to Harvard and we'll pay for it. And I was like, sweet, I'm definitely doing that. Um, not the Harvard part, but I'm definitely going to do that. And so I, I did. I took advantage of it. I applied, got my MBA at Fisher. And um, so I was able to you know, sort of prove to myself, I guess, that... Um, you know. A fine arts degree in design, you know, someone who was proficient at that, you know, could also be operating, you know, in a, in the business world and have a seat at the table and be very comfortable in the boardroom. And so that was it was a really important step in my career to sort of validate for myself, really, and sort of demystify that that I did belong in, in those meetings and 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 in those um, places. And so it was a great experience. Um, and then. To be able to take both of my educational background and my professional background and sort of pull those two things together to create my business was, you know, really, really super fun. Yeah, the the you know, it's not uncommon for people, especially if they do kind of fold into the architecture path or into corporate America um, as a creative to stay a creative mm -hmm. and to kind of either not have the interest, desire, and maybe more often than not, the confidence to believe that you can also be um, a businesswoman 
you know, the, it, you know, a lot of people kind of see those things, and 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 to some degree, maybe it's true. But I'm curious to hear your perspective. You know, as the people see those things as very different. You know, even left brain, right brain, right. And and I am pretty fascinated with creativity, and 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 I think that the word is often too pigeonholed into the arts, um, or right, you know physical manifestation of creativity, whether that be music or painting or interior design. But, you know, I think creation is really like what we're all doing all the time. You know, we create our lives, we create our thoughts, you know, we create our experiences, we create everything. And business is really not that different. You know, there sure there are a lot of different elements to it and skills required. But at the end of the day, right? I mean, do you agree that creation is creation? I totally agree. And I'll, I'll speak to a couple things on that. The first was, you know, interviewing for MBA school to get in. It was like, I felt, first of all, I was one of three women in the whole EMBA class. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, I felt like I had to really convince them how or why a, a BFA you know, belonged in this in this program. And what I found very early on, to your point, is crunching the numbers is sort of crunching the numbers. And we all know that, you know, if you read Oh Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink, like I, I read that book and I was like, yes, that's me. You know, where he's mm-hmm. the new MBA is the MFA. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Um, but I think that it's really about what you do with the information and some of the more you know, it's all about the analysis. It's all about strategy. And I think what I found was that I really was a strategist at heart more than anything else. And that that's what I really weave into the creative work that we do is that it's strategic, it's meaningful, it's intentional, um, it's smart. It's not just designed for design's sake. And those are some of the things that have really differentiated us as, as a firm and the things that we do. But here at Tenfold, I mean, we... we we describe ourselves as creators. And it doesn't matter if you're the director of operations, an account director, or if you're a designer. Um, We're all here because we are really passionate about the act of creation, to your point, that there's something about that that really drives us. It's, It's what gets us up in the morning. We talk about inspiring humanity. And I think that there's nothing that inspires humanity more than... Than the act of creations. It's creating something that connects with someone on a human level. It reminds us that we're more alike than we are different because we have this human emotion, emotional experience related to something. You know, so the work that we do, we really talk about creating these goosebump moments for people. Um, and sometimes that means we're educating them, sometimes it means we're informing them. But through our work, what we really strive to do is to inspire people and bring out that, that sense of our humanness. So the act of creation or being a creator, um, I don't know if you've read um, The Artist's Way, but it gets a little heady around have, the spirituality yeah. of it, but you know, there's a little bit of a godlike thing going on. You know? but, oh, I love her. I think yeah, it's great. It, it's a great one. It's, it, it is in many respects sort of like that joy that you get when you create something that's never been created before. And mm-hmm. the fun for us is that we, you know, we get to do it with clients. And it, and it truly is sort of a shared experience that 
we develop really close relationships with our clients because of that. It's it's sort of an intimate thing, you know. We're creating something together, and then we get to like unveil it and have that moment. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's it's a blast. Yeah, let me let me ask you just kind of going back to the not enough thing, and then also you know kind of the launching of tenfold. I'm curious um, how much of the like. Being a designer and doing what you were doing at Herman Miller Continental, that wasn't enough for you. It, you wanted more, and mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, you know, this kind of not enoughness theme that you know emerged in childhood. How much of your hunger for more is fueled by that in a healthy way, or how much of it maybe was? you know, unconscious, you know, I, I kind of think you can use these experiences to serve you and others like you just described. I mean, what you're doing and and your intention to um, really make a difference in, in with humanity, inspiring humanity. I mean, that that's beautiful and a worthy cause. And if, you know, you're driven to do that and the not enoughness led you there, well, boy, that's, that's, you know, I would say a great end result. But I'm wondering, you know, kind of how conscious you were of it, how aware you were of it, you know, how much it was still fueling you at that point, you know, for for better or worse. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, which leads me to believe that it's probably unconscious in, in many respects. I think consciously what I would say is that I'm really driven by doing something unique um, and different. And you know, for me, it's about sort of pioneering something. And in particular, it's usually a value proposition of some kind. So, you know, in starting Tenfold, it was about branding environments and telling the brand and culture story by leveraging the space as a medium to communicate and specifically doing that within workplace, which was a very underserved area where people were like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, I had to educate prospective clients all the time on what does that even really mean? And, you know, I would show them imagery and then they would get it and then they would want it. And so that was like really fun. Three and a half years into Tenfold, we we launched a whole culture consulting practice. You know, again, culture wasn't even a buzzword at the time, the way it is now. It was all about brand. And we were like, no, it's about culture. And so to, you know, create a whole practice and a research methodology that's rooted in sort of going in and uncovering what makes an organizational an organization special in terms of their DNA, their own unique fingerprint that only their organization has, you know, it was really fun to, to say, okay, people have struggled with this for years to be able to really name it and articulate it. It gets so squishy and intangible. We were like, we're going to solve for that. Like, that's really a problem that should be solved and, and we're going to do that. So we did that. So I just, I love blazing new trails. I really do. And I can give sort of the exclusive maybe here today with you, but... I'm actually launching another business. And so speaking to that, I don't know if that's the not enough thing or just the curiosity about solving another problem out in the world. Yeah, tell, tell me about it. But no, super excited. We're, we're actually... So the, the, the question would be, if Tenfold had a space, what would it be? And so we're, we're actually taking a step into reimagining the retail experience. So taking what we do at Tenfold, which is, again, sort of bringing that brand and culture story to life, doing it, in really creative ways and really emotionally emotionally connected ways, 
bringing that to the retail experience, which for me as a consumer has felt very uninspired for a long time. And I think we're seeing, we're seeing that um, obviously with the demise of department stores and many other brands and the struggles that the large retailers have had here in Columbus. And, you know, so I've just really been inspired over the last couple of years to figure it out. It's like, you know, shouldn't we be solving for this? And if there's going to be a solve for this, shouldn't it come from Columbus? You know, like look at our our history here with um, being the third largest retail headquarters city. I've talked to so many people over the last few years prior to COVID and mostly women who, you know, have really been sidelined by the financial challenges that the large retailers have had. And these are really great, talented people. And so anyway, all of those things just sort of inspired me to think, you know, okay, so if I could do it, what what would I do? And so what we are doing is we are launching a, a company called Ten Space, and um, we have a space that we've leased in the Short North, and we're going to bring to life direct to consumer brands um, on a two month rotation. Um, so we'll be again sort of celebrating their purpose, their intention, the founder story, which is fascinating always and their merchandise and their products and services. But it's really going to be a space that activates that brand, creates a level of intimacy for consumers that they don't necessarily have, especially because many of these brands don't have a brick and mortar. And you know, it's going to be this convergence of art, media, and retail all in one space. So the art will be the fact that it's going to be really creative and it's going to rotate like a... you know, It'll, it'll be like an exhibit that's there for a, a time-bound period. It'll be like media because we're looking to make this kind of an authentic social content factory um, where we might do podcast uh, recordings from there. We might have live streaming. We think it'll be a really great opportunity for people to to create content and share it out with the world. And then then it's retail. It's an actual brand that you can buy merchandise that you want to get to know better and um, make that connection. So it's it's really unique. We haven't seen anything like it anywhere. We've done a lot of research and we're looking to launch towards the end of the summer. So that's really exciting. That's great. I am happy to hear that. And and I'm sure you will be sharing a lot more publicly, but it's great to kind of hear that. And I guess I'm curious, you know, this may be both as it pertains to tenfold and now ten space. What is the kind of creative process for you? Talk a little bit about kind of how these ideas come in, how you choose to create around them, solving problems that you see and experience. You know, I, I also you know can relate to that. Um, you know, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs can that you you know you just kind of see problems and. And, and have some sort of intuitive ability to see solutions. And, and I'm just curious, you know, what's your process like? And, and maybe how do you filter out what you're going to say yes to and what you're going to say no to yeah. in that process? Well, I'm sure there's people in my life who think that this latest venture is craziness because of how, how busy I am. But they're all very supportive. So that, that is, that's important. You know, I think it... it I do think you and I share share that, at least from what I've observed with you, um, Brett. But I think it's it is seeing opportunities. Sometimes they're problems to solve, but sometimes they're they're opportunities that people don't even recognize. Like they're not missing it, but once you explain it to them, they're like, "Ooh, yeah, I want that." 
And for me, the process is really... It's gotten um, probably a little more accelerated as I've gotten older where I'm more aware of when that kind of desire is bubbling up and then more aware of the ability to lean into it. You know, with 10 Space, it was really interesting because, you know, obviously it was, this was really coming to fruition during COVID. And it was probably accelerated because of COVID, just in terms of thinking about just how much online shopping everybody's doing. And, you know, is that a fulfilling experience? And how do you differentiate when your feed is just filled with, it's just saturated with ads and you can't really tell one brand from the other and you just have a desire to know them better? But the other was that, you know, there's all this vacancy uh, because of COVID. And, you know, and so, I guess for me, sometimes it's just like this magnetic pull that I have. And whether I choose to just, you know, let it take me and, and sort of really lean into it. And I find that the things that I can't stop thinking about, things that I, I, I'm more compelled to, to do and to solve and to see that as being, you know, a really challenging, but really exhilarating opportunity to grow. And and I've found too, as I've gotten older, that my risk tolerance has gotten a little bit better, you know? So, and, and it's funny because I don't know if you can relate to this too, but it's it sort of feels like it's a total roller coaster. Like one minute, you know, you're like terrified and want to be super conservative. And then the next minute, it's like, you're like, no, let's open 15 of these. <laughs> you know? right. Like, how do you process the fact that you're in both places at nearly the same time. Yeah. Um, so I've gotten a little bit better at, at, at getting more comfortable with leaning into the risk and just saying, you know what? This is one life I get to live and you know, I don't want to have any regrets and I, wanna, I don't want to be reckless, but I, I need to you know, be okay with taking some chances too. Tell maybe the audience what it's like or what you would advise a young woman in particular uh, who has aspirations to be their own boss and to create in the way that you are. You know, I, I think, I'm curious about kind of your comfort to do that, you know, kind of going back to the, the point, you know, I made earlier about, you know, the home ec thing, you know, was it, was it, stereotypically easier for you at all to kind of do it in this lane because society kind of, for some reason, you know, accepts that more? Or was it also still really difficult to, to lead in the way that you have as a woman? And, and, and I, I hate that I'm even asking that question, but I'm wondering, you know, along the way, you know, did you experience either not being taken seriously or, or even just the challenges that might be inherent um, as a parent and as a CEO. You know, maybe you could just speak a little bit to that experience and, and provide some guidance and advice for, for people that are interested in, in following a similar path. My experience as a woman, I, I, I've been really fortunate. I, I don't feel like I've been marginalized in any way. You know, having said that, I really have taken all this on on my own, and I do often read and hear about the challenges that women have raising funds for 
certain types of investments and businesses. So because I haven't really pursued that route, I don't know if I would have felt differently um, and had a different experience. But in all my interactions, and mostly they are with men related to the work that we do, because you know we are working with a, a lot of large companies, um, a lot of small companies too, but we're often working at the most senior level, and oftentimes you know we're working with a lot of men. So I feel I feel really fortunate in that respect, and I feel like if you are really good at what you do and you are a good communicator, there are certainly many people who are who are going to be taking you very seriously. I think that it could be that the work that we do is valued by leaders who have a really good um, perspective and you know, a, a shared perspective around diversity in the workplace. And, you know, generally speaking, the people who engage with us are, are really good leaders. They care about company culture. So it could be that I've sort of surrounded myself with company that shares my values, I guess, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. I will say, you know, managing the, the work-life balance and that's a challenge for sure. And, you know, I think feeling maybe understood sometimes by other women that maybe aren't in the work world. Um, and, and I'm sure I have trouble understanding their day-to-day. So I think there's those sort of challenges that I've had to navigate through over the years. I often have felt like you know, the, the school that I chose for my kids to go to was intentional, that I knew I was not going to be the mom that was really engaged in the classroom every week. And I... I, it was really important to me that I felt like I didn't need to be there to advocate for my children that you know that 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 they were going to get the support that they needed um, without me you know volunteering a lot because I just wasn't going to be something I was going to be able to do. So yeah, I mean, I think for young women, I think I hear often whether they're women or men, there's a lot of people that have sort of their side hustle as they like to describe. Which is sort of like, here's my day job, but here's what I really wish I could be doing all the time. And I, I you know, I've certainly encouraged people to evaluate that, to really lean into that, and and to recognize, especially when they're younger in their career, that there's sort of two considerations. I think one is you want to make the most of the experiences that you have working for companies and really learn. I always say that you know I was sort of a non-traditional entrepreneur in the sense that. I started my business 22 years into my career. And so I had 22 years of experience of working for a large private company, large public company, learning about policies and procedures and tools and technology. And you know all of those structural, really structurally important things when you're growing a business that I didn't have to learn the hard way. And so I, I feel like that, those experiences are incredibly valuable for people who want to ultimately be entrepreneurs. And then on the flip side, sort of the flip side is that, you know, taking risks when you're younger is a lot easier than taking risks when you're older. Um, you know, when I started Tenfold, I was 41. Uh, no, I was 44 years old, almost 44. I was 43 years old. I had recently been divorced. You know, three kids had my own, you know, house and mortgage that I was, you know, dealing with on my own. Um, Probably not the most ideal time, personally, to be you know making that decision, and um, you know it all worked out really well. But I think that you know recognizing when people are having younger people recognize that 
now's the time maybe to, to take some of those risks and not feel like they're such huge risks, although they do feel that way in the moment. Um, and then the other thing that I tell people too, when they're trying to figure out, is this something that I should do? Something that was really helpful for me when I was going through that process was really uncovering, getting down into the layers and peel, peeling back the onion on, are the fears that I have rooted in reality or are they irrational fears? So mm -hmm. when I decided to um, start tenfold, my fear was that I was going to be homeless with three children. I mean, that was mm -hmm. the, the real fear to me until I had someone say, but is that really true? And I was like, like, yeah, you know, it could be true. And then just more questionings like, well, you know, if this fails, can you, are you employable? Yes, I'm employable. Okay, well, so if you're employable, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if this crashes and burns? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, what I realized was that sort of the worst case scenario was that I might have to move. Yeah, I might have mm -hmm. to sell my house and move. And so I went from, okay, I might have to sell my house and move, you know, compared to homeless on the street with three kids, right? That vision. And I realized that this is worth the risk for me. And it isn't that... Yes, that wouldn't be ideal, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, so I think oftentimes we're held back by our fears and we're held back by fears that aren't rooted in reality. When we really mm. again and ask the question, is that true? Yeah, I think that's really great. I think it's a great place for us to land. It's really sound advice. And I like the fact that you're kind of really transparently sharing what your fears were, even though they were irrational, they were real to you. And that is a very real thing for people that do have a lot of fear. I've experienced that myself. And, you know, look, I think there are these different paths where you have seen your corporate experience and, and your 20 plus years prior to tenfold really serving you and building your skills. And then there's also the like, don't let fear you know, let it take 22 years to do it if you want to do it, That's right? That's exactly right. That's exactly And there's, both paths can, you know, lead you to the same spot, you know, and I was 16 years before I started my business. And, um, you know, I, I'm, if I, I don't think I could have done it any time sooner, you know, right. for me, for me. Sort of works out the way it's supposed to. But I think what's really interesting about it too is, and doing podcasts like this remind me, that's a lesson that I learned that pops up consistently, right? So yeah. I'm getting ready to launch 10 space. What are the fears? What are the feelings that I'm experiencing? And are they rooted in reality? So is the fear that I'm going to do this and it's going to sink the whole ship? Okay, is that, is that a real fear? You know, and, and really diving in to understand that so that you're not continually held back in your journey from doing different things. Um, and so I, I, it's, it's great to be mindful of that. Um, whenever you're feeling stressed or worried or anxious, is just asking yourself, like, is what you're experiencing actually rooted in reality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. It's a great question to ask. And you're right. It is one that you kind of have to continue to ask and yeah. continue to kind of find yourself unconsciously going down that kind of irrational path and catching and coming back. And, and that, you know, is a practice that I think, you know, we, we maybe someday master, but it's, it's kind of never ending, you know, to some degree. You can too. help us do that. <laughs> With all yeah. your 
various projects and endeavors that we can be more mindful um, yeah. and aware for sure. Well, we're we're trying. So, hey, thanks for doing this, Rachel. It's great to hear your full story and to share it with the audience. And congratulations on all the success and this uh, latest launch is really exciting. I can't wait to learn more and see it. Uh, and um, and I'm sure it'll be a, a great success. So, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and follow me on Instagram at Brett Kaufman, on Twitter at bkaufman125, and subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for the Gravity Podcast with Brett Kaufman. And please send me a DM with any guests or topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes.